Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time with myself, Ned Keating. I'm joined today by Connor Bromley. Uh, apologies from the start if the audio isn't as clean and crisp as you might expect from this lovely podcast. Normally, uh, we are doing it from headquarters today. So I'm in Canary Wharf Cotters, uh, a few hundred miles away up north. Uh, sadly, not with us in, in headquarters today. Um, but Connor, it's, it's starting to, to ramp up this transfer window, isn't it? Um, in terms of what we've become used to, to kind of seeing. You know, it's been quiet, I think, probably when the international window's been on. But now those games are over. It starts to seem that the clubs are, are starting to kind of really focus their efforts on to making sure that their squads are, are right uh, as they as they head towards pre-season. Um, we're starting today with Arsenal. Um, plenty of midfielders have already been linked with them this summer. Um, but Amadou Anana is the latest. Uh, the Mirror reporting uh, that Arsenal are considering a deal for uh, for Anana uh, from Everton. Obviously, joined them last year from Lille. Um, considering a move for him, is he in addition to, or is he an alternative to uh, either a move for Declan Rice or perhaps uh, Moises Caicedo from Brighton for Arsenal? I think it'll be in addition. Um, there's been a lot of speculation about Declan Rice and the situation with him. That deal to me, it's a matter of time when that goes through. It sounds like personal terms are agreed, but they do know that Jacques is leaving, Thomas Part is leaving. Arsenal did need to upgrade that part of the team as well. Looking at the end of last season, they sort of came off the boil. I think that's the area you'd say. I know centre back, they had issues with Saliba, but in central midfield, I felt like that was where they, they showed a little bit of weakness. Onana is a good player. I really, really like him. I think he was excellent for Everton last season. Probably one of their only shining bright spots uh, in that team. I think he probably is an alternative to Casiedo, if if I'm being honest. I think it's probably either or. Everton did pay good money for Onana though, so he's not going to come cheap. I suspect you're looking at 50, 60 million would be my rough guess. I don't know what's been reported, but I think Everton paid about 30 million for him, so 
they're not going to be accepting pennies. And I also think because Everton are in the Premier League, they're not in the position that Leicester are in with St. James Madison, where they have to sell. Everton can sit with him there and sit there until the end of August because they're happy either way. They probably know that if they do sell him, they're going to have to bring in a central midfielder to replace him, which will cost them a lot of money. So for them, it's, you know, probably six and two threes. They will happily sell him if the, the money's right and it's a big offer, but they ain't going to be pushing for that deal, which is a little bit different at Declan Rice, who we know has said he wants to leave West Ham and West Ham are going to let him leave with their wishes. And also players who've been relegated where them teams need to sell because, you know, they have to get players in for the championship. They need to lower the, you know, wage bills and whatnot. But I think this is a smart move for Arsenal. I think this is a transfer that I can see happening. I don't know what your view is on this Nedermar looking at Onana maybe is better than what he actually is. Or do you think he's a, he's a pretty strong Premier League central midfielder? I think the sample size is too small, uh, to be frank. <laughs> I think, you know, we we need to run away from kind of, um, you know, judging players on, on one season. He's had one good year, but equally, you know, we've seen players that have come into the Premier League do well uh, and then the following season not been able to follow it up. So from Arsenal's point of view, you know, you're looking at Caicedo, you're looking at Declan Rice, they're players that have been in the Premier League for longer, uh, have been in the round it a lot longer compared to obviously Onana, as I said, they're joining last year from Lille. So in terms of that, <laughs> You know, it, it presents more of a risk, more of a gamble um, for for Arsenal, for sure, from that point of view. Um, but Onana himself, Connor, he's, you know, looking to leave Everton. Um, I think he was looking to even leave in January, wasn't he? If my mind, if, if my mind remembers correctly, that I think he was um, towards the, the final days of Frank Lampard uh, missing training and all sorts, I believe, back in January. Um, so it's not the first time that, that he's been considering leaving Everton. Um, but in terms of them on the whole, and it looks like it's going to be a busy summer of outings for them. It's not just Onana that's been linked with an exit. There's plenty of other uh, Everton players as well that are, are being linked with the exit door at Goodison Park. So in terms of, of that, is it going to be a big summer of change for Sean Dyche at Everton? I think so. I think you look at Everton's squad, it's kind of hodgepodge. It's, it's, been, it's got little bits of Sam Allardyce in there. It probably has little bits of Ronald Koeman in there, Carlo Ancelotti. They've had so many different managers over the years and they've had very little success on the field. Last season, for me, you know, they they were very lucky that there were some teams that were poorer than them. They they weren't necessarily good. They just got lucky towards the end of the season that other teams were bad. I think Sean Dyche has a certain style. We know that, you know, from when he was at Burnley and he will want to sign players in that mould. I think you saw Abdelai Dakuri come in towards the end of the season, he was a big player for Everton. So maybe he looks at you know, Andre Onana and thinks, right, he could be dispendable. Maybe he's not necessarily integral to this team as he was earlier in the season. But I think Everton, in a lot of ways, you know, I think I said earlier that they're in no rush to necessarily sell players. But I do think in a lot of ways, they if they want to change their team and try and not be relegation fodder, they need to sell players to try and, and mould the team in the vision of Sean Dyche. Now, the, the question I would have about that is, is is Sean Dyche the manager you want to you know put all your eggs in that basket? I would argue probably not. He's a he's a bottom-end Premier League manager. Being brutally honest, that's what he is. He's a, a manager that can scrape together between 8 and 11 wins in a season, 12 wins. If you're lucky, he's not, he's not a manager that's going to do anything more than have Everton scrapping to survive and in a good season under Sean Dyche you might get very lucky in finishing 11th or 12th 
but ultimately you look at his body of work over the last few years and towards the end at Burnley, I, I don't think he's the manager who's going to be at Everton three, four seasons and turn them back into, you know, perennial European contenders, which is where they see themselves. So I would have a lot of trepidation if I was, you know, running the show at Everton as to whether or not Sean Dyche is the man to change it. But ultimately that's the man they went with. And if you've got him there, you have to back him. And I think Everton will let him do what he wants to the team. I just don't know if that's necessarily the right decision. Just keeping with the Arsenal theme for a little while longer, um, someone else that they've been linked with this morning and uh, uh, and it's uh, across the Daily Star as well as uh, uh, Reach's other titles as well across the Mirror and the uh, and the Express too. Um, Yuri Ayn Timber uh, is someone that they're interested in from Ajax, a defender who this time last year was being linked with a reunion with Eric Ten Hag at Manchester United and Old Trafford. This summer it's Arsenal, Bayern Munich also interested in him as well. But knowing about the positions that he plays, he can cover right back, he can cover centre back. And looking at the Arsenal squad, you know, I know they're all keen to add a bit of depth to it, obviously being back in the Champions League and it's going to be a tougher on the squad this season. But they've got Ben White, they've got Williams to leave, they've got Takahiro Tomiyasu, all three of whom can play right back and centre back as well. Where has this interest in Simba come from? He's a good player, but it just feels like they've already got very similar players within that squad. And it seems that perhaps this money might be better used elsewhere on other areas of the squad that they need to add more versatility, more depth in than perhaps right back and centre back. Whereas I've said already, they've got three players very capable of doing that job for them already. Yeah, and I think you look at Ben White. I like Ben White. I think he's a very, very good player. My issue with him comes from the fact that he is getting played at right back. I don't think he is a natural right back. I think he could maybe work in a back three on the right side. That's possibly his best position. And it feels to me like Timber would fit that mould. It feels like you're almost, as I say, we're getting a carbon copy, the, the different players, but you're, you're buying a player who almost their versatility is what hurts them you know they don't have a position that's necessarily nailed down and we don't know right now if Arsenal are thinking he's going to be our starting right back next season or if Arsenal are thinking he's going to be you know covering in at centre back and it feels to me that Arsenal need a genuine proper proper right back you know somebody who is going to own that position and you know you look at the team you know that he's going in there right back in a similar way as Zinchenko on the other side I mean Zinchenko is also very versatile but also last season predominantly used him as a left back and it feels like the right side they didn't necessarily have that consistency but you know 22 years old he's a good age he's got plenty of time to develop he's an international he's played for Ajax and you know that's a a team that wants to win football matches and expects to win football matches. So you have all their expectations in. I think you look at some of the Dutch or players that have played in the Dutch league that have come over in the last few years, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, but Lissandro Martinez, who came in last season, he had a pretty good year at Man United. So I, I think the style of play in the Netherlands isn't too dissimilar to the style of play in the Premier League. Obviously, the level of quality isn't quite the same. So I can see why this transfer is coming up. I don't know what the transfer fee is going to be. And this is the thing, which is the recurring theme of, you know, these kind of podcasts where you talk about transfers. It depends really where the money's sitting on that. But I think Man United were heavily linked last summer to him and the fee was very high. I think it was 50 million plus. Are we expecting it to be at that level? Because if we were expecting 50 million pounds plus, that to me feels like a lot of money when you're already buying Declan Rice when you're already, you know, trying to add another midfielder in there, are we saying that Arsenal are spending in the region of 150 to 200 million pounds this summer? Again, 
that's a lot of money to spend. So I'd have a little bit of trepidation around this potential signing. Just on Arsenal and, and the theme of money and fees there, um, one of the sticking points in the Timber move at the minute is that Arsenal are looking for a lower fee for him than, or looking to pay, sorry, a lower fee for him than, than Ajax uh, want for him. We've seen it with the Declan Rice deal as well, that they're kind of not willing to match what West Ham want up front at the minute. They've already had a couple of bids rejected for him there as well, owing to the fact that what's being offered up front. Um, and I think there was a couple of clauses in there as well mentioned about Arsenal potentially winning the Champions League and the Premier League, which sources close to West Ham say that they're not convinced will come true, so they'll never see the money from that. Do Arsenal have to kind of accept that they're having to shop a little bit differently now that because they're back in the Champions League, because they performed so well last season, um, that they are seen as title contenders, that maybe there is that tax that's added to these transfers now that these clubs think, well, you know, they're going to win Premier League titles or perhaps potentially other cup competitions as well. well. We'll see if we can charge them a little bit more. Do Arsenal have to get used to that new reality now? Yeah, and I think as well, you've got the other issue that there's team, every team in the Premier League has a lot of money, especially at the top end. And now you've added in Newcastle to that list of potential buyers. So... You know, these teams, the pool of teams that are looking to buy and pay large fees is getting bigger. Um, and at the same time, Arsenal have spent big money over the last few years, which creates that reputation of Arsenal are willing to spend big money. You know, you look back to the last two summers and they have forked out, I would guess, a minimum of £150 million each summer. Last year, Zinchenko and Jesus must have set them back £75 million. I remember them buying Ben White for £50 million. And ultimately, if you want to be one of the big players in Europe, one of the top teams, you have to pay the big fees and you have to, you know, if a hundred million pounds is what it takes for Declan Rice, that's the, the fee you have to pay. And if also want to be competing with them teams, they have to accept that that's their new reality and they have to, to shop differently instead of maybe signing four or five players every summer, you know, do they sign one or two players every summer and try and do slow incremental improvements. And I actually think Arsenal are well placed to do that. You look at what they've done, they've had quite a lot of change and that since Mikel Arteta's came in. Now, maybe it's time to kind of slow that down a little bit. I know they've got issues in central midfield, which obviously they're trying to address with Declan Rice, but maybe this summer you focus on fixing that area. Next summer, you focus on other areas of the team that you want to change. And, you know, you can't every year spend, you know, £200 million on players and change so much of the team if you want to be competing at the top level. And you look at what Man City do, it's, it's incremental changes, isn't it? You know, the, the every season, they sort of had one or two players take away one or two players. You know, last year, they, they lost Raheem Sterling, Zinchenko, Gabriel Jesus, and they were big players for them, but they replaced them in the correct manner. And Arsenal, for me, need to be sort of following suit on that. They need to sell maybe a couple of players. And I know they're trying to do that with Thomas Poy and Guanacheca, but for me, it's, it's sell a couple, bring in a couple. That's where they need to be uh, right now. Moving to the other side of London, but perhaps a story that does still involve Arsenal. Uh, the Express today reporting that Chelsea could have the opportunity to snatch Southampton's uh, Romeo Lavia from under Arsenal's noses with Arsenal uh, preoccupied with their pursuit of Declan Rice. Yeah. Um, we spoke about it with uh, Amadou Anana earlier on in the fact that he's only had one season in the Premier League. It's hard to judge it. But you you seemed impressed enough by Onana to... to believe that he could perhaps make that step up to, to you know, not a first-team regular for these top sides, but but definitely kind of someone in and around the squad. 
on the same level then with Lavia, who is younger, he's still a teenager, of course. But did he show you enough last season in the struggling Southampton side that he is capable of, if Chelsea or Arsenal do come in for him, making that step up for them as well? Yeah, I think so. He's a player that he came with a big reputation. You know, I think Southampton have done a good job of you know exposing him to their team. And certainly when you watch Southampton games, he wasn't a liability. He didn't look out of place. Southampton were a bad team though. So that makes it hard to judge. And, you know, speaking as a Sunderland fan who's seen a lot of bad Premier League teams over the years, it can be a very, very harsh environment to grow, particularly as a young player. But he's probably, it's probably a transfer that, you know, Southampton need to sell players because they've been relegated. They know that they can probably get a decent fee for him. And could a Chelsea or an Arsenal or a, or a team at the, the higher end of the Premier League look and think, well, that's good depth, but it's also a player that's going to, you know, grow with us and improve. Um, so I think it probably makes sense that teams at the, the, the higher end of the Premier League are interested. I don't know, though, if Laviel will be happy going from being a regular to being a, a fringe player. In particular, you look at Chelsea and how they've dealt with younger players in the past. I, I don't know if I would necessarily make that move if I was him, especially with the size of their squad at the moment. Arsenal might make more sense. But again, you know, if they're signing two other central midfielders, you look at where where will Lavia fit in? I know Lavia can also play right back, aren't he? So he's got a few different positions that he can play in. Um, but I think it's it's a good depth move for teams at the top end of the Premier League. Of course, there the the point being that Lavia left Manchester City last time in pursuit of first team football. Um, so yeah, I think you're completely right. Him having to kind of swallow the fact that that he may not be a first team regular again, having left in pursuit of that that kind of dream this time last year, um, might might be something they have to contend with. Just a wider point on Chelsea, Connor. Looking at their midfield, and look, we know that this summer is going to be a, a, another busy one forward and they've already signed Christopher Nkunku. There's other players that are being speculated uh, to, to joining them as well, of course. But is midfield an area of priority for them? Is signing someone like Lavia a priority for them? Because, you know, we're recording this podcast and Mateo Kovacic, who will come on to a second, um, is closing in on his move to Manchester City and Gaila Kante has completed his move to Saudi Arabia. So when you lose two players like that, does that make refilling, restocking that midfield area for Chelsea more of a priority than it was perhaps a couple of weeks ago? I, I don't know because it's it's difficult to know where Chelsea are with the team, isn't it? You look at the amount of players they're trying to get rid of, how many of them will actually go. I saw Conor Gallagher, you know, did an interview I think yesterday where he said that he wants to stay at Chelsea, but did Chelsea want to keep him? I mean, personally, I think he's a good player. I would keep him. But Chelsea have got so many players, so many that they're trying to get rid of, so many that, you know, you'd think Pochettino will want to keep, which makes it very hard to know what their recruitment should look like because I know, you know, we're going to talk about Kovacic, Kovacic in a moment, but the team is so bloated and they're not going to be able to sell all the players that they want to sell, which therefore means they might be left with some sort of areas of, of baggage and fat around the team that they don't necessarily want. If Mauricio Pochettino thinks that a player like Lavia is going to be an important part of their team, then I think Chelsea will probably go out and sign them. But for me, with all the issues with FFP, the issues with just the general size of the squad, it would seem almost in a way hard to to guess 
what Chelsea actually need to do this summer because they need to get rid of, they need to get players out. Pochettino needs to get in. I mean, we don't know necessarily how he wants to build this Chelsea team, what the remit is. You look at what he did with Tottenham and it, with Tottenham, he, he kind of rebuilt the club, didn't he? It was it was a process that was quite meticulous. Will he get the time to do that at Chelsea? We don't know. Is Are Chelsea expecting him to come in and immediately make them contenders to win the league? We don't necessarily know that either. So I think there's a lot of unknowns around Chelsea at the minute, which probably makes them the most fascinating team to watch in the transfer window. You've got all the players that are moving to Saudi Arabia as well. I mean, potentially, I read this morning, up to six players could be on their way to the Saudi Arabian Pro League. We don't know how that impacts things. So, it's. I mean, ultimately, what I'm saying to you, Ned, is I don't know what Chelsea need to do this summer and what players they need to recruit. And I don't think that they know either because everything is such a mess at that football club. I don't think we've ever seen a club which has spent so much money in and seemingly is pushing for you know, to be a top four team look in such a mess in a long, long time. It just doesn't make any sense what they did last season. And hopefully Pochettino can kind of restore that order. But I don't know, to be honest, what on earth Chelsea will do this summer. I think it depends so heavily on what they get rid of and what they sell and what they can, you know, bring in in terms of transfer revenue before they start molding that team. You're saying there about messes and, and try and make the top four and uh, naturally uh, my mind very quickly went to my beloved Tottenham Hotspur um, and thought oh yeah no we, we could probably be in that bracket as well of being clubs in a mess going for top four and not having a clue what's going on. Um, just finally on Chelsea though and we mentioned about Mateo Kovacic closing in on his move to Manchester City um, and, and we're expecting that to be done in, in you know the next few days or so definitely run to, to have him at the Etihad in time for, uh, for pre-season training. The fee being reported is £25 million. He does have a year left on his contract, but is that still a little bit too low for, for Kovacic? And in terms of what he'll bring to Manchester City, is he the kind of player that they need? Will, you know, you're looking at them, they're losing Ilkay Gundogan this summer. Will he fill that void for them? Will he be that kind of player for them? Can he help sustain Manchester City's treble winning dominance? I think he's a... He's a player that I like. I think he's got a lot of good qualities. Whenever I watch Chelsea, I'm generally always, imp- not so much last season, but I wasn't really impressed with any Chelsea player last season. But as a rule, since he's came into Chelsea, he's been a really strong player. He was, you know, an important player when Thomas Tuchel was there. And I think for £25 million, that's a a good move. I think he's a decent age as well. I know Kovacic looks like he's in his mid-30s, but I think he's, he's actually more in his mid to late 20s. Twenty-five million pounds is a is a snip, really. Um, I know he's got a one year left in his contract. He's probably on a big wage as well, which might play into it. But I think it's a it's a good move for Man City. What is his expectations for playing time? You know that that's probably a big question. I suspect he's probably coming in to be almost the the twelfth kind of man. You know, a player that will be the the not the second choice midfielder, but you know, if they're rotating, he's going to be a player that's going to play probably like 30 games in the season. Um, you know, Pep does like to to change his team around. I think he fits in well with that. It probably is too low of a fee for Chelsea, but they're in a position where they have to get players out the door. He's only got a year left. They don't want to lose him on a free transfer. Does Mauricio Pochettino like him? Maybe not. So overall, I think this is it's probably a good move for all parties, Chelsea probably could have got a little bit more money, but it's a it's a decent transfer all around. As for Man City and, and where it fits in with their team, I can see this signing kind of being a little bit of a stopgap 
you know, a, a player that's going to be maybe a starter next season, but maybe they've got a target for next summer that they're looking at and thinking, you know, we'll be able to bring in this player in a year's time or a player that they can, you know, maybe they've got a, a pool of players that they're looking at. I think Pep has sort of done that in the past. Had I remember when they, they brought in the goalkeeper from Barcelona, I can't remember his name now, like a stopgap for a year. He did terribly. I can't remember his name. And then they brought in Edison. Um, I could see it being kind of similar to that. Maybe they've got a, a bigger target that they know they can't get this summer than get next summer. So Kovacic fills that gap and he's a player that you can trust long-term to be there for four or five years and, and do a pretty solid job in their midfield. Claudio Bravo was the name you were looking for there. Uh, Bravo by name, but perhaps not by nature uh, for Manchester City, as you were saying there. Yeah, didn't, didn't have the best of seasons there before they brought in Edison the following summer. Um, but moving now uh, from Kovacic signing to Manchester City, moving across that city in general uh, to the other side of Manchester and to United. Uh, looks like Nicolo Barella uh, is someone that's interesting them. The Mirror reporting that contact has been made with Inter Milan over Barella. Um, he's been linked with Liverpool, he's been linked with Newcastle, now being linked with Manchester United. Uh, would he adapt to the Premier League? Is he the kind of player that could fit in well to Premier League? It seems like there's there's been several suitors uh, in, in the competition for him, which suggests that these clubs do believe he can make the switch over from Serie A if he was to make the move this summer. Well, when you watch the Champions League and watched how he played in the final, I thought he, he played very, very well. I think you watch... Italian football in general, I think, is has improved. You know, I don't think it's 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 not any other level of the Premier League, but it's not a, a weak league by any stretch of the imagination. But I also think the fee that's been quoted, you know, I think Barella is early twenties, isn't he? I think he's twenty three. So fifty million pounds, I think, is roughly what's been reported. I think Newcastle reporter have had that accepted the other day, and then it it got redacted that it was accepted. So a bit of confusion there. That fee for a player that's, you know, young and clearly been very effective this past season, I can see why teams would want to kind of take that that gamble. If you're looking at, say, Declan Rice, which is £100 million, we know what he is as a player. We know that that's his ceiling. Whereas Barella, I think, has maybe a chance because he's changing leagues to come in and actually um, improve as a player because of that. And you might be buying a £50 million player who's actually maybe more towards that 80 to 100 million pounds mark so I think it, it makes sense especially you know with with FFP rules you can't go out and just buy 100 million pound midfielders so I think this is a good move whoever gets him I presume he's going to move to the Premier League it's been so heavily linked whoever gets him is getting a a strong player that impressed I, I really think that it's, it's a good bit of business I think if Newcastle were to sign him that would be a huge statement of intent from them I think that would be signing a player from Inter Milan who had just been in the Champions League final Um, that would be a big statement from them and you'd probably think that maybe Barella's looking at that and thinking Newcastle could be his third option probably would prefer a move to Man United or Liverpool just logically speaking even though Liverpool aren't the Champions League and Newcastle are but yeah I think it's it's an interesting interesting move to see him come to the Premier League off the top of my head, I've got Obafemi Martins and Davide Santon as, as being two that have also gone from Inter to Newcastle United as well. And yeah, probably a mixed success, I think, at best, is, is probably what we could describe for those two players. So maybe if Barella does come across and, and as she said, uh, goes to his third option, which in no way reflects the fact that you're a Sunderland fan, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> um, maybe you can have better success there than, uh, than those two did. Um, but just on Man United uh, and another wider point in general, 
like Chelsea, is is midfield a, a priority for them this summer? I would I would say so. I think midfield generally has been a weak spot for Man United probably over the since. But I mean, they brought in Paul Pogba and he never really fit in, did he? You know, he, he was a a big player for them, but he he didn't necessarily do what was expected of him. So. I think you look at that Manchester United midfield, I think Fred had a good season, but ultimately we've kind of been there, seen it, done it with him, and we know that he struggles to put it together over a full season. Scott McTominay, I think he scored last night for Scotland, but he is, for me, maybe a, a midfielder that should be playing for West Ham. You know, I don't think he's a necessarily a, a Champions League level midfielder, and you look at Manchester United games last season, generally one of them is playing, so... I would say that the midfield area for Manchester United is something that needs to be addressed. And I think last season when Eric Ten Hag came in, I think he, he didn't necessarily tinker all that much with the midfield. I'm trying to think who the side last season did the sign a midfielder last summer. Christian Eriksen. And... Yeah, Christian Eriksen on a free transfer, wasn't it? I'm going to Google it just quickly now, just so that uh, I don't miss anyone big. This is how well prepared we are for these podcasts. Oh, they bought Casemiro last summer. And Casemiro again, of course. How could we forget about him? <laughs> Casemiro, you know, he came in last summer as well, but he's 30 years old, 31 years old now. I think Barella coming in would... It's a, it's a logical move for Man United, in my opinion, to bring in a, a centre midfielder. I thought Declan Rice would have been a good fit for them, but seemingly... They either weren't interested or Rice had his eyes set on a move to Arsenal instead. So, yeah, this is a this is a decent move. And also, look, obviously, Marcel Sabitzer was there last season from January as well. And I thought he did well for Manchester United. So maybe it's a, in a sense, a replacement for him. Connor, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate your time, as always. Uh, again, apologies for the audio. It hasn't been that great. Uh, you know, the joys of, of going into the office and working from there. Of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest uh, from the chance window across the Daily Star, Daily Express and Daily Mirror websites. But for now, it's goodbye.